0: Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. Would you stand to your feet as we begin our time of worship together this morning? Would you read with me from Psalm 68? Let's read this together. Oh, kingdoms of the earth, sing to God, sing praises to the Lord. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Sing with me. Who breaks the power? brings our chaos back into order, who makes the orphan a son and daughter, the King of glory, the King above all kings, who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in, in all of its brilliance, the King of glory. The King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You would lay down your life. That I lay down your life that i would be set free jesus i sing
1: Thank you so much for being with us today in worship. We do want to welcome all of you. Uh, we want to ask all of our guests if you would take a care card. It's located there in the pew, in front of, uh, pew rack in front of you. Uh, to fill in your information, we want to at least send you something from the church. And thank you for being with us. If you would like information, there are some places where you can check those different uh, boxes. And we'll make sure that gets to you. And for everyone on the care card, there's a place for you to fill in prayer requests on the back. And so we ask you to do that. We want to know what's going on with you and pray for you. As you leave this morning, uh, all of those can be placed in the boxes on the round tables as you leave. But uh, again, thank you for being here. John Gurley, thank you for being here this morning, brother. It's great to see you back. I didn't get a chance to get back there and say hello, so I'll say it from here. That's great to see you all come by later and hug your neck. But anyway, wait, he doesn't hug people. I'm kidding. Shake his hand. I'm kidding. But it's great to see everyone here this morning. I do need to make a couple of announcements. Ladies, we need to share some important information regarding the changes to the Saturday, September 18th, uh, Even If event. After more careful review of the teachings and doctrinal positions of some of the speakers involved with the If gathering 2021 event, the women's ministry leadership in, co- in consultation with Pastor Scott have made changes to the event that better align with our church's core beliefs. The revised event will instead include teachings via video of Jen Wilkin and Christy McLelland, as well as originally planned personal testimony of our own Michelle Dees. The event starts at 9.30 a.m. and will conclude no later than 3 p.m. Tickets are $20, which still include a box lunch for everyone and, and are available for purchase at the Information Center through next sunday so you can get your tickets there we hope you'll come be a part of this day of praise prayer fellowship and encouragement folks let me say aren't you glad that we have a leadership team that looks at this stuff before we go in and do that and a pastor that helps with discernment to make sure uh, that what we're seeing honors the lord and helps us move forward in discipleship so thank you for doing that And I just want to let you know if you'll go by and get your tickets reserved. Also, we found out with our men's Be Strong Conference uh, at Snowbird, the deadline was last Sunday, but we still have some places. So, men, if you've said, oh, I missed the deadline, I still want to go. If you'll just see me, don't go by to try to sign up. Come by and see me. I'll let you know more of the details, and we would love to get you uh, in on the list to be a part of that weekend. So that's also uh, coming up. I've also been asked to give an update from Wednesday night's uh, special called church conference. Uh, If you weren't able to make that or you don't know what I'm talking about really quick, uh, we did have a meeting at 8.05 last Wednesday uh, to discuss the possibilities of us purchasing some additional land across the street that it was actually an original part of the track that we own over there. And you asked, do we really need more land over there? Are we real estate people, what are we doing? And so in answer to that, we, we, we looked at that. The committee went in with the same questions like that. But when we sat down and looked at the land, we began to think, wait a minute. Guys, the timing. Let me just share with you real quick. We did not pursue this. We were getting ready to put our land on, on the market. And that two-week window where the committee met and the land on the market, the man that owns this land came to us and said, we you guys want a shot at this because I'm getting ready to put it out there we're like what so we sat down we had to look at it took all the positives negatives sat down when we began to look at it to see that we would have a a place for a second entrance which for somebody building a subdivision that is a huge issue for them fire trucks police getting in and out of there was huge because the land lines up with the second entrance of Covington so we know we got the first one because we're there but this land, if we purchase it, gives us a direct line across from Covington. Here's the other issue we don't know what it would have gone on that pro- property had we not purchased it, right? We could have had more storage units, a restaurant that we don't agree with. I mean, we didn't know. And so the benefit of, of knowing and then adding that to the current parcel to sell, for us, we said, you know what? This is all, all about God's timing. He has brought this to us, this is huge. Uh, so we we said we don't know the decision. We don't have the purview We don't have the power to make this decision. We've got to take it back to the church and it's got to be quick Because the offers are getting ready to come in so we came in here Wednesday night many of you were here We presented both sides to you and whatever you decided we were going to do and be fine with it the committee Well without dissent the the group in here that was here for that meeting voted to move forward now you ask well, we didn't set a price well, we sent the committee to go set that price quickly. They had about an hour and a half meeting after the meeting to set that. Uh, the price that was set originally from the owner was four seventy five. We made an offer on the upper end, which when you sell stuff today, you're going to see a 4% to 11% increase in the price. The committee said, let's just go to the ceiling. Then we'll know we're pretty sure to get it. They went to the 11% to offer them five seventy six. Now you say, Kevin, that's more than 11%. 562. You say that's more than 11% when I calculate that. There are some factors in there of money that's going to come back to us uh, from that amount. So they went to the ceiling, but again, there's money that's coming back over time to us. One of those is the homeowner, we're talking to them about the possibility of them renting it back to from us for a set time period, whether it's six months, whatever it is, because it'll take time to develop it. So that money's going to come back in to help pay for land. There's another factor with commissions which is going to benefit us too so anyway uh i say all that to say we did put the offer in and we got it you can clap yeah. uh, and so all of the, the paperwork is signed uh it goes through it, it, you say how long will it take well there's several weeks of due diligence home inspection those kind of preliminary things but we hope within Pastor Scott, a month to have a turnaround and have it back on the market with the other property to then secure a contract on the other parts. And so we did, you say, how do we pay for it? Are we go into debt? No, we took out of our emergency funds to pay for it cash. So we did not have to borrow any more money. But here's the deal once we sell the land of there, we'll be reimbursed for that and then some because we were selling another 25 acres with it. So, folks, our committee, I tell you, they're rock stars for me. I mean, looking at their expertise, and I'm not talking about me. I'm just in there for the ride. But watching them and knowing the information they have and it can pull things out, of, you know, know what they're talking about. I've learned a lot just watching them. And so thank you to them for all that they've done. And I think we can give them a round of applause. Can we do that? Yeah. Continue to pray for us. To know what to do coming up but we want to do obviously the lord's will with that land and who it gets sold to all that all those questions be in prayer for us but let's do that right now folks i want to ask you to go ahead and bow your head where you're seated and close your eyes let's remember a few things let's remember all of those that are dealing with the storm damage can we do that what tragic things going on in our country Let's remember those that are still over in Afghanistan. Our folks that are trying to get them out. Let's pray for them. It was updated this morning on a on a man that's over there. I don't even know his name, but we've been praying for him, an individual who is a believer. He's the youngest in his family. He's trying to take care of his mom, but he is at the threat of his own life being taken, and he is basically trying to hide until the borders open back up. You can pray for him. Uh, Miss Brindle told us about that, and we've been praying about that. Folks, for your requests, there are some unspoken requests probably in your life that you need to seek God's wisdom over. God, we come to you this morning, and God, first of all, we thank you for who you are. God, you're an awesome God. We don't say it enough. We don't talk about it enough. I know I don't. So, God, thank you for who you are and what you mean to us. And in spite of us, you still love us. God, that's hard to understand. And, God, we pray for these matters. God, give our church and our leadership wisdom as we move forward with our finances, with what we're teaching. God, in our our growth as a church, as we reach out and events come up, God, that you give us wisdom, know what to do, where to go, and that through it all, your name would be high and lifted up, God. That's why we're here today, to worship your name. So God, help us with that. God, for the message that you have given your messenger this morning, God, I pray you'd be with Pastor Scott and just anoint his words, God. Help him to step aside and allow you to speak through his mouth. Moses said, God, I can't speak. And and you said to him, who made your tongue? I did. God, use Pastor Scott in the same way this morning. God, we thank you for the trip we had to the beach with our senior adults, God, and just the way we were challenged from the messages there. Thank you, God. God, again, just be with us in a special way today. Work in this place on our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said,
0: water you turned into wine open the eyes of the blind there's no one like you Like you into the darkness, you shine out of the ashes. We rise. There's no one like you, none like you. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are. healer, the awesomely power our God our god into the darkness you shine out of the ashes we Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? awesome and power, our God, our God. Mm-hmm. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, oh, we live for you. And holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you, open up my eyes in one. Us the only one who could ever say, Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Oh, we live for you, and holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes. my life be seated
2: Lord the world looks different now work looks different I once viewed labor as ordinary now it's many things I never dreamed it would be cherished important scary at times as I step into my day I think of work in a far different way I pray for those who've lost their jobs. May what I do help them prosper. I know that whatever my work looks like, be it on the front lines or in the back room, be it at home with children or surrounded by coworkers, you are there with me. So I take this day to reflect. Rest if I'm fortunate, to ponder and pray, so I can walk into this world renewed and ready. Amen.
3: Amen. Is it amazing or what that it is September? Time absolutely flies. Uh, Labor Day weekend, find First Thessalonians chapter 1 in your copy of the scripture, First Thessalonians chapter 1. And we will basically look at one verse this morning, uh, that of verse 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. But I want to read the, the chapter in its entirety to set the context. And I want to talk to you this morning about marks of authentic ministry, what laboring for the Lord looks like. And I want you to underscore some things that we're going to highlight in verse three, three aspects of their ministry that characterized them. While you find your place in your copy of God's Word, I do want to Welcome uh, Randy Foster back with us this morning. Many of you remember Randy and Jackie. He was one of our co-teachers in Sunday school with uh, one of our senior classes and back about the turn of the year around the holidays, they moved to Georgia uh, to be near children and grandchildren down there. And while there, uh, Jackie uh, came down with COVID and she Uh, has passed and so that funeral will be here a week from this coming Friday at 4 p.m. and you'll hear more about that but it's good to see Randy this morning we've been praying for you and your family as you're up here visiting your daughter and her family Um, would you stand for the reading of God's Word please Paul, Sylvanus and Timothy To the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope, So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Father, I pray that you would speak to us in this hour. Lord, I thank you for this church family, for their marks, Of authentic faith in ministry. And I pray that that would only grow. And abound. To your glory. Lord as a nation reflects this weekend. And tomorrow. About the holiday. May we reflect upon our labor for you. That we would be found Faithful. And Lord, that we would make whatever adjustments in our lives need to be made for that to be so. Lord, I pray for the one this morning who does not know you, that something I would say or something that we have sung or one particular verse, that your Holy Spirit would use that to speak to their hearts and draw them to Jesus. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. You know, in Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, folks, we live in a world that is concerned about many things. But, you know, the Lord has promised, above all things, that... It is his bride, his church, that matters most in the world. He didn't promise to build any one particular political party. He did not promise to build any particular sports team as we get ready to go into the NFL season. What he promised to build and bless was what? His church. It's his bride. That is precious to him. No doubt you've heard the saying: If you find the perfect church, don't join it. You'll mess it up. And that's true, isn't it? Because this side of heaven, there is no true. Uh, there is no perfect church this side of heaven. True churches, yes. Perfect churches, no. But folks, we do see something very powerful on the pages of the New Testament. We see some churches that were far better models than others. Models of the faith. I think of some that the Apostle Paul himself encountered. I think of the church at Philippi and how he commended them because even when they lost track of the Apostle Paul, they found him when they learned that he was under house arrest. They made certain that they took up an offering and sent that offering to him through the hands of Epaphroditus so that all of his needs could be met while he was in uh, captivity there in jail I think of the faithful friendship he he shared with the Philippians I think of other churches as well the apostle John in the book of Revelation wrote about the church at Smyrna they were another wonderful model of a church they were a poor church But you'll recall that Jesus said of them that in reality they were very rich. Poor in the eyes of the world but rich in the eyes of Christ. And they faced great tribulation from the hands of those around them and yet they were faithful. And then John wrote also of the church at Philadelphia in Revelation 3. They were another model group of believers. Because Jesus said of them that they had kept his word and they had not denied him. Well folks, we also see the church at Thessalonica. And here in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians 1 we see what impressed Paul so much about this particular group of believers. And what impressed him was the authentic marks of ministry he saw in in them. The way they received the word, the the way they heard it, but then the way they acted upon it. And it calls to my mind what James said in the book of James. He said, if we're hearers only of the word, we deceive ourselves. We've got to be doers of the word. And you may recall how James in James chapter 2 gave that illustration of somebody coming to your door in need and they knock and you answer the door and you say all of the right words but you do nothing to meet their need. And James says, that's not real faith. That's not faith at all. Folks, the Lord is calling us to something more and we see that something more here in the church at Thessalonica. Thessalonica. I want you to notice with me first of all this morning that they were characterized by the right activity. He says there in verse 3, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says first of all, their work of faith. Make a note in the margin of your Bible or on a piece of paper, Hebrews eleven six. 6. Hebrews 11, of course, is a chapter that deals repeatedly, verse after verse, with the topic of faith. And what faith looks like. And in Hebrews eleven, six, the writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so we see there that faith is not just a good suggestion. It's not just a good thing, it is that which is essential. Without faith, you and I will never please God. You know, it's been said that men will work for a number of reasons. Men in the past sometimes worked because they were made to work. They were forced to work by those over them in in hot fields sometimes. I'm talking about slave labor. Men will also work because of a sense of obligation. They know that they ought to be productive members of society. Men will work out of love. They love what they do so much, they can't wait for the alarm t- clock to get up, to go off in the morning so they can get up and get with it. Men will work because of needs. They've got bills to pay. Men will work for security. They want to lay up a nest egg for the future to take care of their families in in coming decades. Those are some of the motives why people work. But I want you to notice what Paul said of the Thessalonians, what their motive for their work was. It was faith. Their faith in God. Their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, does the world see a work motivated by faith in us? Do they see us trusting God to the point that we act on that faith and we obey God's word? That's what faith does. Hebrews 11:1 says, "Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen." I want you to think about that. the assurance of, of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen." Christian writer Marshall Shelley is a tremendous example of this type of faith. He suffered the sickness and death of two of his children. And in Leadership Magazine, he, he, he gives this example or gives this accounting. He says, even as a child, I loved to read. And I quickly learned that I would most likely be confused during the opening chapters of a novel. Because new characters were being introduced. And the writer was also introducing new plots. And sometimes the individual plots that he or she would weave in would seem at that point like random plots. And I did not know how to make sense of any of it. And so, what did I have to learn? He says, I learned to keep reading. Because you know if the author, if you're acquainted with the author and you know that they are any good, by the end of the book, by the end of the story, he or she is going to weave everything back in together, tie all of the details together, and in the final analysis, it's all going to make perfect sense. And he said, that's how my life has been. Even if my wife and I currently, he writes, cannot make sense whatsoever. Out of the children we were blessed with who had chromosomal abnormalities and debilitating diseases to where they suffered week after week and month after month until finally they passed away and and we laid them in the arms of Jesus. He said, even if now none of that makes sense to us, We know the divine writer, and that by the end of the book, he's going to tie everything together, and it's going to make perfect sense. Folks, that's faith. Amen? That's faith. Our journey of faith begins at salvation. We were not there when they crucified Jesus, but we believe the testimony of God's word. We were not there when he rose from the dead, but again, we believe the testimony of God's word. We look out at creation. We were not there when he spoke and made the heavens and earth and all that is. But yet we believe that the heavens declare the glory of God. We read the testimony of God's word. And we believe that, we have faith in that, and we build our lives upon that. God tells us certain things in His Word. He tells us as His bride, as His church, in in a dying world, a a hopeless world, that we're to serve Him and, and magnify Him and be a witness of Him. And so what do we do? We serve and we share our faith in Him. That's what faith does. And Paul said to the Thessalonians as he looked at them, he could tell that they were a body of believers like that. They were motivated and governed by their faith in Christ. Something motivates and governs every single one of us. Think about that. Something governs and motivates every single one of us. Is it material gain? Is it success in life? Is it your career and whatever you can accomplish and name for yourself in that? Or or is it your faith? Is it your faith in Christ? That if all else collapses in life, that's what you have to cling to. I pray that that is so. Christian men and women need to be men and women of faith. And our faith is to be seen by our work. As James says, we're to have a faith that works. It's not that our work gains us faith, but rather that our faith produces a new kind of work in us. Work is the evidence of faith. Work is not the root of salvation, it is the fruit of salvation. And folks, even the world expects a Christian man's faith to impact his life and and change the way he lives, right? The world expects this. You take a Christian man in an office place this coming week, if, if he gives testimony of knowing Jesus... But everybody around him in the office place hears his profanity. And and let's say they know he's cheating on his wife and he's cutting corners in in business. What are they going to say of him? They're going to say he's a hypocrite. And they're going to say if that's what Christ does in a man's life, hey, I, I must not need Christ. After all, I don't do those things. I must be better than him. So even a lost world expects to see our faith governing our activity in life and what we do. And that's why Paul said what he said of Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. You may remember some years ago when we were going through 2 Timothy in chapter 1. Paul commended young Timothy because he said, When I I look at your life that, that resided first of all in your mother and then in your grandmother, and I see that it's in you too, what I notice is a sincere faith. A faith without hypocrisy is literally the Greek word there. A faith that is not two-faced. And I explained back then in that message also how our English word comes out of the Latin. Sincere faith. Sina Siri. And the background of that in the Greco-Roman world. In the marketplace where they sold pottery. Some of the people who sold pottery, who would try to sell something as being more genuine than it really was, if the pottery had cracks in it, they would cover the cracks in wax. And they would seal over it and paint over it. But buyers could hold that piece of pottery up to the light and they could turn it around and and they could see that the wax in those cracks would, would shine through. They could tell it was a broken piece. But if they would turn it around and there was no cracks in it whatsoever, then it was sinna sera without cracks. It was authentic. Folks, the world is looking for that in our faith. That it's authentic. And Paul saw that in the Thessalonians. What are we like when we're held up to the light? Does the world see conformity to Christ in us? Do they see a work of faith? Now true, sometimes the world expects Christians to be too perfect. And they like to use that as an excuse as to why they don't need Christ. Because they don't see perfection in the followers of Christ. But we know that while this side of heaven, perfection is not obtainable, a sincere, authentic walk with Jesus Christ is what the world truly needs to see. They need to see faith in action. And that's what Paul said as he wrote to the Thessalonians. Do people see a work of faith in you and me? Do they see somebody who believes God's word and builds their life on God's word and lives out God's word? I mentioned Hebrews 11 a moment ago. You want to see what faith looks like in action? Just read some of the characters in Hebrews 11. There's Noah. All Noah had to go on was God's word. God told him to build the ark and and gave him the dimensions. And, and, And Noah apparently had not even seen rain yet the way he would come to see it or the way you and I see it. And yet for 120 years he's building that ark because he had faith in God's word. And he's putting up with the mockery of people around him. Not understanding what he's doing. It looked foolish what he was doing. But then one day the rain came. Who was foolish? There's Abram. All he knew was the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans. And God said, Abram, I want you to leave everything about your familiar surroundings and your father's household. And I want you to go to a new place, a new land, and I'm going to build a new nation through you. He had nothing to go on. But he believed God and he made the journey. There's Rahab the prostitute. Do you realize that had her people come to learn that Rahab was hiding those spies who came in to spy out the land, they would have killed her and her entire family. But she hid the spies anyway. Because something had happened in her heart, and she knew that these were the people of God, and their God is, is the true and the living God, and she wanted to be included in that. And, and so she did what she did because of, of faith. You see, folks, Hebrews 11 points out for us that a work of faith is not easy, it's costly. And that's why Jesus said, no one can be my disciple unless he denies himself and picks up his cross and follows me. That's faith. A second thing he noticed about the Thessalonians was their labor of love. That's the second phrase there in in verse 3. He saw a labor of love for Christ that grew out of their faith. Now it's interesting that the word that he uses here for labor. It's the word for very intense labor. Hard work. Blood, sweat, and tears type of of labor. That's, That's the word picture behind this word that he uses here. Folks, I don't know why sometimes people don't understand this, that serving the Lord involves work and hard work. To have a church that is, is known by its labor of love, it, it, it's hard work at times. You know, I, I know this. I understand this. There are people who come into church and 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 they expect they're just going to find everything for them, everything just ready made, and that no labor, no labor of love is necessary. But it, it's not that way at all. I'm going to make a prediction for the church in the West, and I hope I'm wrong. Trust me, I hope I'm wrong. And I don't think it'll happen maybe for another five or ten years. But I think it's going to happen. And in fact churches are already seeing this. And I'll I'll set the table this way. About 15 years ago, we had a couple and and their kids come to us from a mega church in Charlotte, and he said, Pastor, I'll tell you one thing. I'm I'm sick of seeing at my church. We go there every morning, and and in the hours before worship, when there's the small group ministries, we're tired of going to doors and signs on doors saying there's no workers, there's no laborers for the Lord's vineyard this morning. This area of our ministry is is shut down. This area will not meet today. And he said we would just have to sit and wait till worship. And he said we would experience that week after week. I just got tired of it. I think what we're going to see in the future and again I hope I'm wrong that all churches will be able to do is just have a worship service where just paid staff are doing things during the worship hour. And various ministries won't even operate because it takes laborers. It takes workers. Paul noticed about the Thessalonians, they were characterized by this labor of love. You know, certainly there's great benefits for believers. Romans 5 talks about we, we have peace with God. We're justified by faith. We have peace with God. We have access into His presence. We have hope. Romans 8 says that there's no condemnation for those in Christ. There's no separation from Him. And we have the help of the Holy Spirit in the meantime. And so there's many benefits. But I want you to notice there in in the book of Romans even, how Paul in Romans 12 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, since since you have all these benefits in the faith, present yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to Him. There's responsibilities that go along with benefits. And that's why Jesus said He... He who saves his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for the the gospel's sake will save it. Laboring in the Lord's vineyard. Folks, that's something that ought to characterize every child of God. Laboring in the Lord's vineyard. And it ought to be a labor of love. If you hate God's work... If it's drudgery to you, there's something deeply wrong at the level of your relationship to Christ. It ought to be a labor of love. I had a wedding to do in Charlotte yesterday, and I was thinking about this. You know, you take a, you take a young man who's in love, and, and he he's about to to marry his. His sweetheart. She's his fiance. And, and uh, let's say they get off work one day and they go out for a date and she's about to go home that night and, and it's late. Let's say they've, they've gone to a movie or something, dinner and a movie, and it's real late. And she says, Honey, I've got this special meeting in the morning. I've got to drive. My car's filthy. Will you wash my car for me? I tell you what, he'll wash her car if it's midnight. He'll get out there and wash her car for. Her. And he'll love every second of it. I'm serious. It's a labor of love. And that's how it ought to be in the Christian's walk with Christ a labor of love. You remember what the Bible said of Jacob in the book of Genesis? You know, Laban tricks him. He marries Leah first and Rachel. He waited another seven years for Rachel. And the Bible says that the time passed so quickly. It was so short for him because he loved Rachel so much. It was a labor of love. Our work for Christ ought to be a labor of love. This was the issue at the end of the Old Testament. The end of the Old Covenant. Remember what was going on in Malachi's day? People were going into the temple. And just turning up their noses at everything they were doing for the Lord. Even the sacrifices, going through the motions. It was drudgery. They dreaded it. Even the priest... Those serving the Lord, it was just drudgery. Let's hurry and get done with this and get back out in the world and do what we really want to do. And you remember what God told his people through the prophet Malachi? He said, I wish somebody would go to the temple doors and shut these doors to this place and don't even come in here. That's a powerful warning, isn't it? Your labor for Christ is to be a labor of love. Is your labor for Christ a labor of love? And then thirdly, Paul said what characterized them was their steadfastness of hope. That's the last phrase that he uses here in in verse 3. We see all around us. It's easy to see in the world around us today that we live in a hopeless society, don't we? Woody Allen once said, More than at any other time in history, mankind faces a crossroads. One path leads to despair and utter hopelessness. The other path to total extinction. And let's pray that we have the wisdom to choose correctly. Do you hear his choices there? One path, despair and utter hopelessness. The other, total total extinction. I would say to Woody Allen, I don't choose either one of your options. I choose what the Bible says. God gives to us a future hope. We can have a steadfast hope. Remember Job asking if a man dies, will he live again? And, and what... What does Scripture say emphatically to that? Yes. 2 Corinthians 5, therefore being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and at home with the Lord. Titus 2 says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the, the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. That's how we're to be living. Looking for the blessed hope. Folks, we have a hope, not because of anything we've done, but because of what God has done for us in Christ. And as Paul looked at this church here in Thessalonica, he saw a people characterized by that hope. And the word he uses is is the Greek word hupomenei. It has to do with enduring, in stress being put on your life, trials and tribulations, and a weight, a weight of trouble being put on your life, and yet you're able to to patiently endure. In other words, it's an endurance and a hope that not com- that it doesn't come from the easy chair, but our hope. Motivates us to press on. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 that we've been given a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us, listen to this, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, amen a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that's what God's given us Paul in Ephesians 2 points out that the Ephesians, and we could say the same about us, once were a people without this kind of hope. He says, therefore remember that formerly you, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But then he goes on to say, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You have hope. Christians are not a hopeless people. The Thessalonians were steadfast in their hope. Yes, we'll face trials and tribulations. Yes, we live in a difficult world. Yes, we will be tested. But in the midst of it all, we are not to be a people without hope. We're to keep our eyes on Christ. And we're to maintain a steadfastness of hope. Where do we find this hope? You find it in the scripture, don't you? learning about Christ in the scripture according to a new study in the middle of a global pandemic and a contentious election and social unrest the American Bible Society teamed up with Harvard University's human flourishing program and they found, they ended up in their study finding a strong correlation between scripture reading and hope. Frequent Bible readers rated themselves 33 more points hopeful than irregular scripture readers did in two surveys of more than a thousand people, the surveys being done six months apart. On a scale of 1 to 100, with 100 being the most hopeful, Americans who read the Bible three or four times per year scored only a 42. People who read monthly scored a 59 weekly a 66 but those who, who read the scripture multiple times every week scored the highest at a 75 they concluded Bible reading along with other forms of community and discipleship such as going to church and participating in small groups appears uh, to contribute to people's sense of well-being and happiness so again yes trials and tribulations we experience those and we know that God is using those to purify us like gold but in the midst of it all we have a book that shows us the steadfast hope we can have in Christ Don't lose your hope. Don't give up in life. Don't grow bitter at God. Don't give up on your faith in God. Have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches over his own. Be a people of steadfast hope. A people characterized by work of faith. A faith that is seen in our actions. Be characterized by laboring for the Lord. A labor that is shown in our love for our labor. And a hope that is steadfast. I want to ask you this morning to examine your own life. Examine these aspects of your own life. Examine your faith. Is your faith... Mainly just words. I mean seriously. Think of your life. Moment by moment each day. All during the week as you're faced with challenges. And, and how you live your life. Do your actions. What you do. The choices you make. The things you involve yourself in. Does this show that your faith. Is faith in action seen in your works? Or do we say we have faith and then just go on and do whatever we want to do? Is yours an authentic faith? On this Labor Day weekend, what, what about your, your labor? Would you describe it as being a labor of love? Think about Christ. He labored there on the cross for us. A labor of love. Do we consider it a privilege to labor for Him? I think of the apostles in the book of Acts. The scripture says they even counted it a privilege to even suffer for the name of Christ. It was a labor of love. Or do you labor with the attitude, let's just get this over with? How about your hope? You look at the world today, the shape, the world's in, everything that's going on in the, in the world. Have you lost all hope? Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's faithful to His promises. And one day, The divine author will bring all the pieces of the grand meta-narrative of the redemptive story in the scripture. It'll all come together and it'll make perfect sense. Keep your hope.